0: Welcome, friends. This is episode 59 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found the link through on Syracuse.com or social media, that's cool. But keep in mind, you can subscribe to this podcast. It's the best way to get new episodes delivered right to you wherever you listen to your podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is, if you subscribe, you'll make sure to get the latest and greatest episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast when it's available. Two things to cover today. One is the firing of Syracuse defensive coordinator Brian Ward. And if that'll be the last move that Dino Babers makes with three games to go in 2019... And thinking even beyond that. Later in the podcast, we'll talk to Mike Waters and Donna Detota, my colleagues from Syracuse.com. Oh yeah, it's here, Syracuse basketball season, ladies and gentlemen. And given the vast disappointment that the football team has been so far this year, welcome news as always with basketball arriving. We set the clocks back this weekend. It's getting dark earlier. I rake some leaves this weekend. It's getting pretty darn cold out there at night, putting those heavy blankets on the bed, finding those winter coats. So it must mean it's time to talk hoops. But first, on the firing of Brian Ward, it was surprising that Dino Babers made the move when he did. It was not surprising that he made the move. Nothing changes if nothing changes, and something had to change on the Syracuse football team. Now, the irony is it's the offensive line and the faults of the offense that have commanded most of the headlines this year. But when you give up 496 rushing yards to Boston College, the most a Syracuse opponent has ever given up, 691 total yards, the third time this season Syracuse has given up more than 600 yards, Maryland and Clemson being the other two games, a walk-on quarterback making you look silly. Steve Adazio, Boston College's head coach, even said it after the game in a television interview with the ACC Network that BC basically ran the same play about 30 times. Now, mind you, A.J. Dillon and David Bailey are very talented running backs, but Boston College ran as basic a game plan as could be against a talented Syracuse defense, and Brian Ward's side of the ball was helpless to stop him. Well, you can't fire the players, so you had to make a change if you were Dino Babers, and that change he made. The question is, what else is coming? Only two teams have more penalties than Syracuse at this point. They have 84. Tommy DeVito has been sacked 41 times. Syracuse quarterbacks overall, 45. A clear front runner for the most in the country. Mike Lynch, and by extension, Dino Baber's offense certainly, has been unimaginative this year and has done little to change its fortunes. Saturday, Tommy DeVito actually had a pretty decent day throwing the football because he had time to do so. But once the defense fell apart, it didn't matter. And that was against Boston College's 126th ranked defense in the country. You can't fire everybody now and throw things into chaos with three games to go. But more change is certainly on the way for Syracuse. Could Lynch be gone? Could offensive line coach Mike Cavanaugh could be gone? Could Kirk Martin, the quarterback coach, be under fire? And Some names maybe I haven't even mentioned here. These conversations tend to turn back to recruiting, and believe it or not, there was a silver lining this past weekend, even with one of the worst games we have seen in recent memory. I think the worst loss in the Dino Babers era. Three-star defensive end Latari Kinsler, a 6'4", 215-pound prospect, the highest-rated pledge in Syracuse's 2020 class, Committed over the weekend. He was recruited by Brian Ward and had offers from the likes of Penn State, South Carolina, Tennessee, Oregon, Virginia, LSU, USC, Nebraska, some of the biggest names in college football. Always darkest before the dawn, you hope, if you're Syracuse football, because this upcoming 2020 class is going to be very important. That position is going to be very important with Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman on their way to the National Football League after this season. Certainly the offensive line comes to mind, and Syracuse has some catching up to do in the recruiting department there. It's a stunning free fall from where Syracuse football was a year ago. It was this time last year where interest was growing in the program. People were wondering what kind of bowl game they were going to go to. And basketball, well, that got pushed off because it wasn't time for basketball yet. We were still invested in football. Now, a Syracuse football fan who got back into the program not only emotionally but financially has to feel like they got bamboozled by what we saw a year ago. A 10 win season unthinkable with this team well on its way to being three and nine which would be the worst record in the Babers era was 2018 a one-hit wonder for Syracuse football or can Babers get back in the studio and crank out some more hits he may have to make some more changes for that to happen well the old joke when Syracuse football struggles is when is it basketball season well basketball season is now Wednesday night The Orange open up against Virginia at the Carrier Dome. The defending national champions coming in for a big game. Let's bring them in, Mike Waters and Donna Detoda, for a little Syracuse basketball season preview. Mike and Donna, here we are, our third annual season preview podcast. Welcome back. It's good to see you both.
1: Thank you, Brad. It's good to be seeing, right, Mike?
0: Yeah, it's good to be back. I was raking the leaves this weekend. I got the heavy blanket out of the basement. I got the heavy coats out of the basement. It must mean it's basketball season, right? We got got the flannels back on. We got the sweaters back on. It's getting dark at 5 o'clock. Let's go. All the signs are here. So as the season begins Wednesday, what do we know? What do we know about this team with the ball going up at 9 o'clock Wednesday night? Uh, What do we know? Donna, you go first What
1: do we know? Well, we know that they're going to play a little bit differently on offense I think they're going to be a better passing team They're going to pass the ball more They're going to do a lot more screening and cutting And their ball's going to move more The players are going to move more I think that will happen this year Um, That is one thing I think we know Uh, I think they're going to take a lot of threes They're going to take more threes than they took last year Um, Which presents a couple of other different problems Um, But so far, that's, I think, what we know
2: and really, it's not much beyond that. Everything else is kind of guesswork. You know, will will they will Beheim play a few more guys or not? You know, he says it all off season, and then after a couple of the exhibition games, he's already talking about cutting it back to eight or nine guys, as usual. Uh, will we see a little bit more full-court press with this group? I would think you could with the depth you have at center. You know, if a guy picks up a foul or two because you end up with a two-on-one fast break, you could absorb it. I think it would accentuate Jalen Carey's strength. He's a great defender. Um, But, yeah, I think really, like Donna says, they're going to look a little different on offense. They're going to take more threes. And maybe the only other thing we really know for sure is Elijah Hughes is the guy.
1: Exactly. He's He's, he's totally the guy, and I believe that he's been underrated nationally. And I I feel like it's my personal responsibility (laughs) to say that he is better than people think he is.
0: I was surprised at the lack of preseason teams he was on. He'll be on plenty of the postseason teams if he has the season we think he can. One intriguing thing about him, and Don, I know you mentioned it a bit and wrote about it, is he's going to bring the ball up. I mean, Jim does not trust his guards yet at this point, and that's a young group, and there's a lot that's got to work itself out as the season goes here, but he's essentially going to be a point forward at times, right?
1: I think maybe, but I did ask Jim that after the exhibition game because Elijah did bring it up a lot in the first half of the game the other day, and then, then, he, then he sort of used his guards a little bit more as the, as the game wore on. Um, I think it's going to depend on who's guarding Elijah, too. Um, but I think that they're going to have... I think that the idea that they're going to have a bunch of different guys who he can... Jim can rotate in there to try to handle the ball is good. He's got four guys who can essentially bring the ball up, right? He's got Jalen, he's got Joe Girard, he's got uh, um, Bryson Goodine, and he's got Elijah. So one of those four guys is going to, I, I think at various games and various points of various games, be bringing the ball up.
0: It just feels like there and other spots on the floor, Mike, he's got options. Like, there's depth. There's There are choices. There were certain times the past couple of years you'd look on the bench and be like, nope, nobody else can do that. But it seems like there's just more options on this team. There's fresh blood with all the fresh men coming in.
2: Yeah, whether we see uh, Jim actually use all 12 guys or not, uh, you're right. There does seem to be a suitable backup to just about everybody, I and mean, the only place where you see a huge drop off would be Elijah Hughes to whoever the next guy is. But in the backcourt, with a starting backcourt of Jalen Carey and Buddy Beheim, you know, guys like Joe Girard and Bryson Goodein are there as options. In fact, we're, when we're talking about the point guard position, and whether Eliza's going to bring it up, Joe Girard, who's not really considered a point guard, has did fairly well in the in the most recent exhibition game didn't turn the ball over, you know, you seem to have control of it. So between him and Jalen Bryson, you get you do have options. You have options at center. And even if you choose not to use the two freshmen as options, you still have Marek Dolajai who's given you time at center in each of his first two years in the program. So there, there is some depth, some options there. But, you know, we'll see. It, it, Jim does usually like to settle into his – seven or eight guys uh, that he trusts the most and and he'll end up going with them. I think that might get tested this year because I think you'd probably look at maybe Robert Braswell as guy number nine. And I think he brings a skill to to the floor that's going to be needed. If you're going to use a different looking offense, like Donna said, when we started off here, we talked about the offense looking different and taking more threes. Robert Braswell's shooting ability is something you you just can't leave on the bench he, he's got to see some court time because I think he can knock down
0: threes for this team there's those players that are making that second year jump and I wanted to ask about them because there's a lot of new faces that we have to get to know but when you're looking at freshmen becoming sophomores sophomores becoming juniors Braswell comes to mind Marek comes to mind Elijah certainly comes to mind there's not a lot of veterans on this team in that sense but as you go through the names that we know, what, what's the, the jump from last year to this year that could happen?
1: Well, I think we've already discussed Elijah. I think he I think he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. He's going to be able to do a lot more things. He's much more confident with the ball. Um, I think he's made a, a, a significant leap, yes, but I also think he had some of those abilities last year, and he just didn't have the ball as much. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody like M- Marek, I, I feel like, the main thing with him is he needs to be able to shoot the ball. You know, I don't think he made a three in the two exhibition games that they played. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a little bit behind because he broke his finger on his shooting hand, so he didn't get a lot of reps in at the three-point line over the summer as much as he normally would get. You know, he has to be able to he has to to be able to extend the defense. The difference between him and Robert Braswell is Robert Braswell is a better shooter. Marek is probably a better overall player, a more experienced player, but I think Robert is just a better shooter. And, it, you, you know, that position, um, Jim, Jim said that position is going to get a lot of open looks and I think it will especially on the perimeter and you know uh, so what I think the difference with Morek is can he make that shot can he make people guard him on the perimeter um other guys who who's taken your guys, I guess it's buddy, you know. And people talk all the time like, "Oh, buddy is just a shooter," and people want to keep saying, "Buddy is is more than just a shooter." But what's wrong with being just a shooter? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Especially I mean, when you're know, really good. at it. If, yes. if you're really good at being a shooter, and I, I talked about this with Rob McClanahan, you know. But this is what guys in the you know, who Syracuse guys who have gone to the NBA tell me all the time: you have to be great at one thing to be to stick around in the NBA. Why can't Buddy Behan be a great shooter? Why can't that be his thing? Why can't he shoot 44% from the three-point line? And I think he can. I mean, I think he's a very, very skilled shooter. Can he get open enough? Um, can they get them, get him the ball enough? Um, and, and can he be? I mean, he was a terrific shooter last year. He had a slow, slow start, and then he was great during the ACC season. Can they get him open, and can he get, getting, can he get shots, and can he knock him down?
2: In, in terms of looking at guys who might make a jump this year, he's not uh, a sophomore. He's a, he's, a, he's a little bit of a cheat here. But Baram Isidabe. Is really important. Uh, he's going to start at center after two years, where his the tendonitis in his knee really hampered him. Um, he's healthy now, supposed to be playing pretty much pain free. If they can manage him through the season and get in so that he can play and give them a good 25 minutes a game, man, he could really help this team out because you know I, he's got a little bit more offensive skill than Pascal Chukwu had. I think he can rebound even better than Pascal did because Pascal would have a game every once in a while where he would grab like 12 or 18 or something. But Barama, I think, can give you a consistent rebounding effort, uh, which this team needs because they weren't a good rebounding team last year, and they lost their top rebounder. So Barama stepping in there, I think, would, is, is a key.
0: Which would be big, because we've seen those flashes of what he can do. And we brought up Marek a moment ago. I think that they would prefer, they being the coaching staff, that Marek doesn't play center this year. I think there's times he's going to have to. That's the best lineup you can put out there. But how, how, how are they feeling about that right now? Do they want to keep him out of that center hole as much as possible, or is it just inevitable he's going to end up there?
1: Well, Jim went from saying in Italy that he's not going to play any center to saying <laughs> in the fall that he might play some center. I mean, I think it just gives you so much more offensive flexibility to have Marek in the game. You know, I do think rebounding is huge this year, um, and like Mike had mentioned, that they lost their best rebounder in an O'Shea Brissett. Um, I think part of the problems that they've had with rebounding over the years has been they teams take so many threes against Syracuse that that center position is not going to get a as many rebounds as a traditional center would get where teams are not taking as many threes. So the guards are really going to have to rebound the ball better, and the forwards are going to have to rebound the ball better. And I think one of the things that's going to have to happen is Quincy Garrier is going to have to be the rebounder that he was in Italy. Mm-hmm. He has not rebounded the ball great in the two exhibition games, and I think that they've sent a little subtle message, or not maybe not so subtle message to him, that if you if you don't rebound, you're not going to play. Um, every guy that I talked to in Italy and in the exhibitions and practices said they have emphasized rebounding this year for good reason. They need to get the, they need to end possessions on the defensive end, and they need to get out. If they want to run, they need to get the rebound. So um, how they rebound, whether Barama can rebound better. I think he probably can rebound a little better than Barama, but I think some of it's out of his hands. The ball just isn't going to come near him. Can the guards rebound, um, and can the, can the forwards rebound?
0: That's the name. That I am excited about. I think Quincy Garrier has the potential to be the most exciting player on this team. I like his physicality. I like how he attacks the rim. You brought up the rebounding and mm-hmm. some of those natural things that a young player just kind of has to overcome. But I, I, it's already happened. And NBA mock drafts are not an indication of anything. But you know, looking towards the future and looking at potential and all those those fun things. Jim Beheim loves it when names of his players end up on mock drafts early, but I think it just shows you how exciting of a player he could be. I think he could be the breakout star on this team. I think they need him to be, to
2: be honest, because when you're replacing an O'Shea set and you're looking at that forward rotation and the, the rebounding need, uh, you know he's such a big strong kid. Um, the mock draft thing, I think that's uh, just probably the result of one NBA scout coming through town watching him play really well in a practice and remember, he's going up against not guys from Virginia or North Carolina. He's going up against his own teammates. And, and, and then that scout turned around and told Jeff Goodman how good Quincy Garrier looked. Um, and boom, you're on a mock draft. Quincy got to learn how to play the game against real competition. I, he's got a ton of talent, a lot of potential. But like in the first exhibition, when he starts out by taking a couple threes, it's not his game yet start off inside be around the glass get in the paint get your shot in there and then as the game goes and you're feeling good and you've made a couple baskets then you if they leave you open from three point range take it cuz he doesn't have a bad shot he, he's not going to make a contested three you don't want him taking uh, that but if they leave him open he can knock it down but he needs to learn to play the game a little bit and i guess just one little well, minor detail
1: i also think too, on a game on a team with so many perimeter threats they need somebody who can Who's got some inside presence on offense? Um, I think he can make threes. He hasn't. I don't think he's also. I don't think he's made a three in the exhibition games. Um, he can make them, and you have to guard mm-hmm. him out there. Um, but to Mike's point, that's not where you want to start out the game. You don't want to start out the game jacking up two threes in the first five minutes of the game. I mean, um, he, that's not the strength of his game at this point. I don't think. Like I said, I think he can make them. You know, if you watch him practice, he's got a really nice shooting stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he can make those shots, and I think he can be. Um, The player that I saw in Italy was extremely dynamic. He played with incredible intensity. uh, and He was a guy who was not to be denied. And I think that guy has yet to translate to college basketball at Syracuse in the two exhibition games. Let's see what he does against Virginia. Let's see how he does against Colgate, who I think is going to have a tough time matching up against him defensively. Um, But let's see how he progresses this season.
0: That word transition applies to another exciting player, and that's Joe Girard III. Speaking of what you said, Donna, What's wrong with being a really good shooter? He's a really good shooter. But the question is how he transitions to the college game defensively. But And again, exhibition games are not everything. But that kid's feet never stop moving. He is mm-hmm. moving around the court. I think the way he plays the game is going to make up for a lot of faults. It's going to make the coaches happy. And that's just somebody you got to get on the floor this year off the bench. How much and, and what situation we'll see. But he's playing. I, mean, I think we've determined that.
2: Yeah, I think the image that a lot of folks had of Joe Girard when they saw the scoring numbers in high school, uh, 4,700 career points at Glens Falls and 50-point-per-game averages, they they just saw, you know, envisioned a chucker, you know, a guy who's just coming down, taking every shot, you know, under the sun. And, you know, and then you have sort of like a a little image that goes along with that sort of guy. Joe Girard isn't that guy. He is a tough, hard-nosed kid. He plays the game really hard. Um, he can do other things besides shoot it. He handles the ball pretty well. He's got decent court vision. He's willing to give the ball up. He's He likes to look to set up his guys. He couldn't really do it and succeed at Glance Falls um, because they weren't going to win games if he only scored 20. Uh, so, you know, he was called upon to go. But in the Nike EYBL, you know, he played with and against Division One guys, shot the ball really well, averaged, what, 11 to 12 points per game, in the summer between his sophomore and junior or junior and senior years so that kid's a tough kid and i i you know i, I think they're gonna have to create ways to get him on the floor
0: it was interesting I, I we had an event recently we do this every year over at the espn radio where we have the assistant coaches and there's like a question and answer session and and, and fans we always do it at a local restaurant and they just get to ask questions and somebody asked about joe And Jerry McNamara said that he's had some really encouraging conversations with him about being a little more, when you were at Glens Falls, you had to do everything, right? How is that transition going to be for you here, where, you know, you've got to spread the ball around, you're not the guy? And he said he's been really encouraged how Joe has approached him and has said things to him about that, about being a little more, Unselfish because you don't have to do everything at Glens Falls. He's embracing that. I think he's actually kind of looking forward to not having to score 50 points a game and, and just contribute to something.
1: Well, I think one of the things, when he was in the EYBL, he was certainly not the guy. I mean, he played on a team with Isaiah Stewart. When, when, when defenses guarded the City Rocks, they put three guys on Isaiah Stewart. So Joe <laughs> got a lot of really nice open looks because, I, because teams were really, really covering Isaiah Stewart. I also, I, and I'm going to confess to being not quite sure how Joe's skills were gonna to translate to college he's six feet tall maybe six one he's about as tall as me I'm six one mm-hmm. um, uh, and I didn't know a six one shooting guards you know there aren't a lot of them in college basketball um, but he has really really impressed me in a lot of ways he's super tough like Mike said um, he's a fiery competitor he knows how to get open he knows how to get open and that is one of the most important things that a college basketball player can do and another thing too that I've noticed about him that I love about him well two things one he rebounds. Two, uh, he is a very willing and very capable passer. He, you know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to drive to the basket, score over six guys, but I think he is going to be a guy who can get the defense to sort of shift toward him and then find a guy who's open somewhere inside. He's willing to pass it, and I think he's been a pretty good passer.
0: Staying with the guards, a name we haven't mentioned much yet is Bryson Goodine, Hmm. and there's another intriguing player because he makes plays, you can see the athleticism, Donna, I know you've covered him a bunch and, and wrote about him and went to some of his high school games. So there's another kind of, okay, we see the talent, but how does it how does it translate kind of thing? It's hard to forecast at this point because that's a crowded position, but he seems to be another guy who's going to knock on the door that Jim's got to play him.
1: Well, I talked to him the other day after the exhibition game, and this is something that every single young point guard has um, to adjust to is the speed of the game, right? The pass that you had in high school is not going to be a pass that you have in college because the defenders are better, they're quicker, they know how to play, you know? So he said that's the the one challenge that he's had, you know, trying to figure out the speed of the game, what passes are there, what passes aren't there. The thing about him that I like is he's a pretty good athlete. Like, he's a sneaky good athlete. I don't think you look at him and think he's super quick, He but he jumps really well, Um, You know, he can be a crazy dunker and a crazy athletic dunker. He made that one beautiful play along the baseline where he had that reverse layup in in one of the exhibition games. Um, But they're going to, you know, I think he's a better shooter than people think, too. Um, all those things are going to help him, but it's going to take a little time. He's going to need some time to adjust. Like you know, his first game is going is against Virginia, arguably the best defensive team in the nation, and that's going to be tough. They're going to be up in those two guards. They're going to be up in every guard, guard who handles every point guard who handles the ball. They're going to be up underneath them. They got a small little point guard at Virginia, and they're going to be brutally harassing of those guards the whole game.
2: Yeah, I love Bryson Goodeye. I think he's got a lot of potential. Maybe even NBA type potential. I, when I talk to some of the, the SU assistant coaches, the, they tell me as soon as Bryson Goodine uh, believes that he's as good as they think he is, then he will get good. Um, he needs to play with a little bit more killer instinct, uh, some you know meanness to him.
1: He's a quiet kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And it's, if he can develop that, that little edge to him that Joe Girard has, and uh, Jalen Carey plays with a little bit of an edge, I, I think then Bryson starts to really realize that potential. Staying with
0: the guards, we haven't mentioned Howard Washington's name. He seems to be the odd man now, and and I just feel awful for the kid because of everything he's gone through. He's continued to fight through, but it seems like there's just some names that are accelerating ahead of him on the list here. It's not going to stop him from fighting for something, some kind of role on this team, but it it feels like he kind of falls off the list.
2: Yeah, and it's too bad because... I think he might actually be one of their better true point guards in terms of a guy who can bring the ball up and, and run your offense, get you into your offense. But he doesn't really um, aggressively look for his own shot, his own offense. He's a little bit more laid back. Um, he's a smart kid. He understands the game. But it does seem like right now, as you put it, he's sort of the odd man out in a you know the fifth guy in a four man rotation.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I think you know four four guards is a lot to ask too. I mean, yeah, generally speaking, three guards play. Yeah. You know, and if you're the fifth guy, you know, the chances of you playing are fairly slim.
0: Another name we haven't mentioned yet that I'm intrigued by, and it depends on how healthy Barama is and, and how this goes. The potential's there but he's still a raw prospect. And that's Jesse Edwards, 6'11 guy who you watch him in practice, you watch him in certain situations, you're like, okay, I can see where this is going, but does he have a role on this team is the question.
1: I love That's Jesse Edwards. Awesome. I think he's going to be really good. He's got a great shooting stroke. He has really good basketball instincts. Um, he can shoot free throws. Which All is right, really my it, man. It, there you go. <laughs> really important from the center spot, which not a lot of centers have been good free throw shooters. Um, I just think he's going to be really good. I think he has, like I said, he just he just knows how to play. He needs to get a lot stronger, and he needs to again understand the speed of the game and kind of catch up to how quickly and how strong everybody is around the basket. But I think he's, his potential is really, really impressive.
2: You know, the ACC's 20-game schedule does not help guys like Jesse Edwards because you're taking two conference games and you're putting them in November and December, and they matter. And there's fewer games on the in the non-conference portion of the schedule then where you can play some of your younger guys and get them court time and help them develop, and maybe a couple good things happen, and they start to earn the trust of you know, Jim I and mean, they get more playing time. He, he's pr- I don't know if he's going to get on the court against Virginia. And if he does, it's going to be for probably just little stretches because uh, you know, it's a game that matters right away. And same with the Georgia Tech game in December. Um, I like him. I, he's got a lot of potential. You know, you mentioned he's 6'11". That yeah, kid's pushing seven feet. Mm-hmm. He t- yeah, he told me he's seven feet tall. Yeah. That's what he told me. Yeah. Get and out it, the so. tape measure. And he, yeah. he, he, eventually he's going to look really good on that pick and pop set a screen and just kind of turn and knock down the 15-footer. He's got a nice touch for a big kid. I mean, he can
1: make a three. I mean, he has range to the three-point line. whether they ever let him shoot it, it's questionable. But he can shoot that. He can make that shot.
2: You know, imagine as a guard coming off that screen. And if he doesn't roll to the basket, if he just turns, just being able to flip the ball back to a nice, big, high target, you know, and and let him shoot the 15, 16-footer.
1: The joy for me will be actually the guy, on the the roll man, getting the pass, getting the ball. that's the joy for me
0: yes we debate that let's see if that will happen just the smiles in this room right now the basketball nerding out is fantastic i love it i'll close on this note guys it's incredible to think about very syracuse-centric number here this is the 44th season for jim Beheim. he is the oldest coach in division one basketball i'm sure he loves that i just brought that up but i mean it's amazing at what we're talking about here and he is just forging ahead through Everything, personal tragedy last year, and just every obstacle that that seems to come up. There he is, ball in his hand, whistle around his neck, ready to coach another team. Year forty-four for Jim Bayheim. I just want to throw that out there and, and see what pops in your head.
1: <laughs> My God, yeah, I we're both dumbfounded
2: you know, right now. There are guys going to games at the Carrier Dome with two kids who weren't born when he started coaching. Incredible. Not the kids weren't born the guy the dad the 42 year old man going to a game wasn't born wasn't born when that's it is it's shocking isn't it
1: it is and you know what i i have always been of the opinion that when buddy leaves jim will retire that's always been my Mm. and that's always what i imagined would happen. but you know if he if if I, i don't know like when i've talked to him privately he hasn't he hasn't budged on. Uh, I'm going to retire when I retire. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how long he'll be around. I really don't. I think he really still enjoys coaching. I mean, he's a competitive guy. You know. Um, I think he likes. I think he likes a lot of things about coaching.
0: And recruiting and the process and Team USA basketball. He's not going to be on the mm-hmm. Olympic team per se, but still involved in that. It just you know the beat goes on. It's 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 incredible to think about here in year 44.
2: It really is. I, you know, when you think that it, you know, it all started back in 1976. Um, that that's a that's a long time ago. You know, he coached Leo Routons and then coached Leo's kid. Uh, you know, he coached Adrian Autry and then coached Adrian's kid. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's it, it's 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 quite amazing. I mean, you know, think about it. You know, John Wooden was basically forced to retire because they had a mandatory retirement age in California back then for state employees. You know, if they had, if that law hadn't been on the books, and John wouldn't have been able to do Pilates. You know, <laughs> who knows? That's the secret, say, right there. That is. That's yeah. that's the that's that's the secret for Jim Bayheim So, yeah, I don't know. I How long will that... he go? I don't. I don't know. I don't think he's. If he's thinking about it, he's not telling.
0: I think he's going for a solid fifty. <laughs> I think he's going for a solid fifty. I,
1: I, I I'm don't, with you, I, Donna. I, 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 I don't, don't. When
0: Buddy leaves, I, I I just don't know. I don't think that's the end.
1: I mean, I just think he's such a competitive guy. He just loves to compete. He loves to win. I and mean, he just He's such a competitor. What? Well, look, I can't really imagine him, at, like, hanging out at home and, like, a game being on and not being an integral part of trying to figure out how to win or lose that game. You can't right. win him. I
2: think that's what part of what's going into, like, the reason why he wants to keep coaching, because I don't think he envisions what he would do, what would he do? if he weren't right. coaching. Like, I don't think he wants to golf that much. No. You know, so – You know, when he was in his early to mid-60s, every once in a while, somebody would ask me, so when do you think he's going to retire? And my joke was, one day after I do. I don't know. I might end up becoming a prophet uh, because I think I might end up retiring before Jim.
1: I've actually joked with him about it. I've actually said, who's going to retire first, me or you? You know, and he has not given me an answer. He's like, well, you keep saying, well, when will you retire? You
0: know? That, so you just brought up how competitive he is. You made it a game,
1: Donna. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's
0: going to keep going here.
1: I honestly think I have zero influence on when Jim Beheim does or does not Place retire. Place your bets.
0: Place your bets. Who's going to retire first? <laughs> if there's going to be a nuclear war, there will be a box of Twinkies, some cockroaches running around, and Jim Beheim with a whistle. At the somewhere. Mellow Center. Yes. That's just what's going to happen.
1: In the bunker. Yeah, In what, the
0: bunker. Who knew the Mellow Center was, was uh, atomic Yeah. <laughs> Don, Mike, thank you so much. Looking forward to reading all your coverage and talking hoops with you guys all season long. Thanks for listening to episode 59 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. A reminder to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, so new episodes are sent directly to you. Thanks to Mike Waters and Donna DeToda for joining us, and thanks to you for listening. If you've missed previous episodes of the Syracuse Sports Podcast, episode 58 features a conversation with CBS Sports broadcaster Ian Eagle, whose son Noah is now the voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, even at 22 years old, just out of college. We also had a conversation recently with Matthew Berry, ESPN's fantasy football guru, and how a gig writing for the television show Married with Children turned him into the fantasy king. My name is Brent Dax. We'll talk to you next time.